0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today.
1: Welcome back to Counter Culture here on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and joining me now, as always, for Media Matters is Marty Gibson. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Marie. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well I've uh, been looking doing a you know bit of digging around in the papers and listening retoxing. to a few yeah retoxing, doing a few bits and pieces and I have a question for you, my friend, which I think you should turn into a column as as a nation do you think we've gone soft?
0: yeah I think I think people have far less uh, tolerance for discomfort and long-term thinking mm-hmm. and and yeah where, where, there's, where there's uh a, a why there's a how, and I think we've lost our why. I, I, I think often we don't have a, that that kind of optimistic vision of a shared bright future that uh, civilization in ascendancy has. We've rather got the trivial pleasure seeking that a uh, uh, civilization in decline tends to be characterized by.
1: It's mm. it- a long answer. Yeah, no, no, it's not because I agree. I agree with you because I just read a number of stories across the weekend, where to use a word that is so overly used by people who have an ideological difference to me, privilege, uh, and I've just looked at this affluence and how often I have said that particularly critical social justice ideologies can only flourish in an environment of affluence, and we are not. As affluent now we're um, having to you know the diet needs to start we've been gorging on a hundred billion dollars and lots of people have become quite fat and happy on that and the diet starts now and as the bigger girl no one likes to be told to go on a diet but well, it unfortunately- doesn't
0: work if someone tells you to go on a diet doesn't no. more than it works if someone tells you to stop drinking booze uh, you've really got to be dissatisfied with your current state and you've got to start, well, this is my experience anyway, you've got to start forming a really vivid, enthusiastic, optimistic vision of where you're going to get. So anytime you feel like eating one of those tasty cream buns or whatever you're, uh, you know, or an icy cold American uh, pale ale, you, you sort of have to say to yourself, well, do you want that or do you want whatever your vivid vision mm-hmm. is?
1: Yeah, and Christopher Luxon, of course, had his State of the Nation on Sunday. And, you know, I mean it's a tall order. I mean, he's he's inherited an absolute cockcase. case. He's and he's here at this speech trying to try and inspire people. Now I read the media on the speech. I only actually just listened to it yesterday. So I read all the media and the afterthought on his state of the nation. And you would have thought that he'd stood up there and delivered a, a funeral eulogy, to be brutally honest. And, I, and then I listened to it. And whilst I'm not his biggest fan and he leaves me as excited as a limp, to leaf, sleep, there was lots of we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. Mm. And then he did it. We're going to get New Zealand back on track. Back on track. Back on track. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. Which is what he's meant to say. And he was very, clear. I mean, you could see that they have a plan of what they do, and they are also acutely aware of what got them there. I didn't think the speech warranted the negative media, but perhaps that's what the $100 billion bought, maybe. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, as I've said uh, before, the, the biggest uh the biggest crime that uh, Christopher Luxon uh, commits as far as female journalists are, are concerned is he doesn't give them the tingles. Mm. Maybe even gives them a bit of the ek, who knows. Whereas Jacinda Ardern uh, did what a woman uh, would do if, if they want to be successful and comes across as one of their friends who reminds them of them.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. So she she got a pretty soft ride uh, in a way that uh, Judith Collins, say, certainly didn't.
1: No. Um, Speaking of the ick too, he certainly gave them the ick at the big guy out.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, just just uh, I guess if you take the criticisms of his, his State of the Nation speech at face value, it, it, it does come back to my constant criticism of him is as, as that for all that he's billed as being a great businessman, he he's obviously never had to sell something to someone who had to give up their own money to buy it. Uh, because uh, features tell and benefits sell. The figures that he gives around long-term unemployment are, are horrific. Job seeker benefits up 57%, uh, with over 70,000 more people on it, which brings it up to 190,000 people. MSD has told us that for the 2,000 young people receive a youth payment or young parent payment, they are now expected to spend an average of 24 years of their working life on a benefit it's up almost 50% in just three years. So, yeah, there's plenty of bad stuff, but that's the criticising people for their weight rather than saying, hey, you know, and let's take it back to how, uh, about unemployment.
1: You're right on that benefit number because it's certainly one thing that he's being slammed about. And I heard with, yeah, St. John was the name of the woman from the charity and I can't, for the life of me, I can't find the name of the charity. And she sort of criticised that, by essentially benefit bashing all you'll be mm. doing. Well, it, sounds, create... it
0: does sound like that. And, it, again, like with the stuff like we're going to quit down on gangs, he hasn't sat in the tinny house and, mm. and, and watched what a miserable time it is being. been. You just don't you always feel that a fight might break out. You know, the young guys are kind of wasted and now and then saying stupid things that could get them punched in the face. And, as a, and you know, with, with long-term unemployment, your horizons shrink, your self-esteem shrinks. So he could frame that in a really compassionate, positive way, and I think people would buy it a lot more. You could say, hey, look, the health effect of unemployment is similar to smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, and uh, these people could just be leading such so much more fulfilling lives if they get back to work, and it's going to hurt initially. Just like being unfit, it hurts when you first start exercising. And so the key isn't to smash someone and and have them so sore they just think, I'm never doing that again. you just got to say, hey, put your shoes on, walk to the end of the street, and Mm. then give yourself a pat on the back.
1: So there's sort of this cycle, right? And one of the cycles being is that work is actually hard work. I, I put it here, get up, turn up, shut up right? I mean, both you and I remember what it's like when Mm. you start your first jobs. I didn't do university. I I finished high school. I did a student exchange. I came back. I was Both you and I were at that awkward time age-wise where university went from pretty much mostly a free proposition to all of a sudden you had to stump up for money. I didn't have that and the student loan scheme isn't what it was today. So I went straight into work. At that time, I was earning $20 more a week than what I would have been earning if I was on the dole. And for that, I was working, for, uh, I think it was just under, about 48 hours a week with aching legs and sore feet and having to talk to yeah. people all day. It would have been a hell of a lazy sitting at home, doing nothing. I can tell you that right well, now. That.
0: beneficiary maths, and you hear them say this a lot. It's like, okay, if I'm only earning 20 bucks a week and I'm working 40 hours, I'm effectively only making $0.50 cents an hour. And that's that's the way a lot of them think. And if they're topping it up by um, being, a, uh, you know, able to in their free time, they've got deal a bit of weed and whatever else. Then you know, often they're making quite a comfortable living. Thanks, and uh, you know, it's easy enough to get some sort of diagnosis of some mental health condition where you can move from the job seeker benefit to a sickness benefit. So yeah, you you really have to say, okay, I understand why that's enjoyable, or, or on on and on the face of it, why you might like that but picture yourself in two years time where you've you've got to the habit of working how much better you'll feel about yourself oh and-
1: absolutely and that cycle needs to start at school and i thought that the story that paula bennett told in her column mm. because truancy Luxon brought it up in a state of the nation as he was saying what was it in the uk they have 79 percent of kids that go to school regularly in this country it's like 46 percent yeah. OK, A truancy is just horrific. And Paula Bennett talked about uh, governments getting out of the way and allowing communities to sort out community problems. And she talked about a grandmother in Kaurau who used to go around uh, to the kids. She had, a, what was it, 100 odd kids on her list. She obviously was working with the local Kaurau college and she would go around and literally knock on these doors Um, ignore the, you know, the the benders and the drugs and everything that she would have to go past and drag these kids out of the bed, put them in their uniforms and get them to school. And the outcome
0: determines the process, which we spoke about last week. You know, governments normally, the process determines the outcome. That's what Paul was talking about. Um, She
1: is. And, And she would talk about the improvement that actually was gained by giving these kids a reason to get up and get out of bed every day and go to work now we're so and you know you know that something is deeply wrong with the with these with the whole thought and the process to get up when we're now for a lot of these kids in a high wage environment I mean my boys work in a commercial kit in a restaurant right in a restaurant kitchen as dishwashers and I love I'm a really strong believer of hospitality work for young kids because hospital is hard freaking work. If you've done work in hospo, you know how hard work it is, whether it's front of house, back of house, your feet hurt you, yeah, everything aches, you're dealing with customers that can be idiots half the time. It's hard work, but the life skills you learn are incredible. Now, my kids, you know, they're earning, they don't know training wages or anything, That they're earning minimum wage. But minimum wage, when you're 15 and 17, they earn a lot of money.
0: Well, and also, if you're if you're earning minimum wage in such a way that people want to give you a job because some workers are better than others, uh, you don't stay on minimum wage for long. No, and and you know that that's the vision that they need to get uh, beneficiaries to to see is hey, you can retrain. You 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 might do that beneficiary maths and think, well, I'm only earning twenty bucks a week more, but if we track it forward over ten years, you know, you, you could be earning a thousand dollars a week. And I think, yeah, there there is that lack of vision given to kids. My son made friends with a a slightly older Maori kid who uh, was around the corner, and he sort of started coming over here quite a lot. And I I think, you know, he's from quite a hard-up family, and uh, he was very impressed with the food here. And when I – because he moved out and he's moved somewhere, hopefully I bump into him again. But one of the things he said when my son was saying goodbye to him was thanks for all the food. (laughs) So we sort of fed him, you know, quite a lot at the weekend. I, you know, felt awful about that. But I said to him at one point, how are you finding school? He said, oh, I like uh, writing stories, but um, I'm not good at maths. And I sort of rounded on him uh, and said, you know why you're not good at maths? Because you're not doing your homework. And if you get stuck, you're not asking a teacher and not stopping until you get it. And then went off on a, you know, discussion with them about, hey, if you stay up with that maths, if you determine how I'm going to be one of the the better ones in my class at it, then you can do a say, a pre-apprenticeship engineering course. You could leave school at 15 or 16 and do that if your maths is good. And then after that for a year and then three years as an apprenticeship, you could be 19 on 70000 bucks a year with a company vehicle. And you could go anywhere in the world and make a hundred bucks an hour doing useful things. That's why you stay good at maths. He, he came to me a couple of times after that and and said how he'd, you know, been asking his teachers when he got stuck and he'd been doing his homework. And I think often it's as little as that painting a picture for kids and giving them some accountability and uh, yeah, being a bit tough on them maybe. Mm. Because there is a whiny little voice in all our heads, and I might have spoken about it before, when you start exercising here. Oh, why do I need to do this? Oh, I'm just fine the way I am. Oh, why should I Why should I put myself through this pain and risk of injury for other people's beauty standards? Me, me, me. Same with when you're working. Oh, it could be, you know, on the dole and only getting $20 less a week. And that whiny little voice has got political representation in the form of socialism. Hmm. And it's yeah. our mortal enemy.
1: Well, it takes away self agency, doesn't you it? You have
0: to see it as an enemy to mm. make progress.
1: As I said, I'm not a huge fan of Luxon, but I do, I do actually have some sympathy for him because he is trying. He is trying. To do his very best. He's been in the job, what, 82 days or something? Uh, he's got his got his little plan that he's ticking off. So far, there haven't been any massive spats or arguments between the three coalition leaders, which is all we can ask with a coalition. And yet the media are just, you know, they're not they're playing dirty pool. that that they are uh out there with a lot of sort of what I call catastrophizing stories. Now, not to say that there aren't issues in the stories that they're publishing, but they're all stories. That pre-existed the current coalition, but they're Not rolling these. Yes, and they're rolling these stories out now. And part of me wonders. And examples of that is the one, uh, the one, one, one system failing. Yeah. These all appeared over the weekend. Uh, police infrastructure uh, needs replacing. Black mold in police stations, and that the vast number of police stations are now no longer requiring. Work, uh, now need to be replaced. Early childhood failures in in this. This is a problem. The ECE system is a problem that sits at the government's feet for some reason. I don't know why. The ambulance service creating having issues in regards to ambulances not being on the road because they claim because of costing issues. But when one actually scratches a little bit uh, deeper on that one, and I'd like to go into that further later on. But those are all stories. None of these are new, none of these are new problems.
0: Yeah. None well, of And what Luxon's ultimately up against is that uh, the merry band of Marxist student politicians had that credit card and they spanked $100 billion on it, and that buys a lot of love, and it Mm -hmm. buys a lot of things that Shane Tepoe and Vernon Small and all those other dandruff on the ill-fitting jacket types um, can blather on about. But the fact is, we've been as a nation living, not only living beyond our means, but spending money on stuff that was stupid and didn't really leave us with anything in the form of an asset, mainly just seemed to create more liabilities. So, yeah, he, he's, he's going to have to get a lot better at spelling out why we're in the mess we're in, that it's going to be uncomfortable in the short term to fix it but ultimately it will be better for our children and he's going to have to make variants on that messages to give to gang members to give to beneficiaries and say hey you know there's going to be pain initially but stick with it all right we'll give you support and uh you know it'll be better for your kids let's focus on that
1: Mm. and he's he's
0: not really that kind of features tell benefit sell kind of dude
1: no and you know when that's Charity boss said that, you know, do you think that there's been an outbreak of laziness with people on benefits? Well, actually, I think there's been an out- outbreak of laziness right across the board. And uh, actually, I'm going to pull out the one on the early childhood.
0: While you're doing that, I mean, you know, we've had that other issue where everyone's house prices have been going up. And so there's all these people in Auckland who've had the banks call them and say, oh, I've got a line of credit here you could use because your, your house is. Uh, Doubled in value, and so I think. Well, I'll you know do the old boat beamer batch. Um, so yeah, it's it's right across the board. Ewe uh, organisations have been awash with soft government cash. It's the the whiny little voice of uh, of self doubt is is going to be shrill.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, it is, and. Uh... So you and I, as we've mentioned many times, Marty and I, in fact, our birthdays are only days apart. So we're pretty much exactly the same age. Only our mothers
0: can tell us apart. (laughs)
1: And it's, I mean, I I bought my first house in in the late 90s where interest rates were sort of at the highs that we're seeing today, right? And, you know, through the 90s, I heard someone um, again saying, oh, we haven't seen this sort of level of um, financial. They're trying to take us back to how things were in the 90s and that won't work. And it was in one of these articles that I'll dig out in a minute. What I find really intriguing is the fact that this next generation of parents and kids and new homeowners, they, they don't, it's almost like they've lost touch of what it actually takes to make things happen. And when I bought, the, my first house. I mean, I saved. You know, you save for a deposit. You get on. You buy your first house. I mean, I've always worked two jobs because that's mm. what you needed to do. We bought. I bought We had borders in the house to help And you had a vision
0: people. of where it was taking you, right? Totally and that was strong enough. So when that little voice of whininess said to you, oh, Marie, it'd be so much nicer to be sitting on your butt in front of TV," you went, "No, I want to own a house. Yeah, freehold in ten years or whatever your goal was."
1: Yeah, that's, and so and that's
0: what allows you to make those choices.
1: And so what you have here is, um, so the whole early childhood uh, sphere is now, um, as you has now come into vast relief because there are a lot more parents, mums, who feel that they need to go back into work earlier uh, in order to help pay these mortgages because their interest rates are going up. And you know what, I do actually find that really sad because I think, if mums can stay at home raising their own children and you're not giving mm. them to the state to raise them, I think that's initially the ultimate, right? Well, where
0: but, the state will pay them or, or pay the cost of looking after their children but won't pay the mums for the opportunity cost of of not going out to work
1: because yeah. equity. Yeah. So here's this mum who is a nurse, so she's qualified in a – a, re- a pretty re- good paying paying job. She feels that she needs to go back to work because of the rise in interest rates and in the home that they have. She has a daughter, so she worked part time for six months after the birth of her daughter. Uh, both her and her partner are imp- employed as contractors, and there were. A- positives and negatives. i've i'm I've been employed as a contractor for more than two decades, so I know how this works. Now the the positive with being a contractor is you're self-employed and you've got tax benefits in that respect and flexibility and all of those good things. The downside of being a contractor is if you don't work, you don't get paid. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. right. So so there's in terms of stability, employment protections, you don't have that like you do as an employee. So you know she sort of has that little thing holding over her head. In a nutshell, she decides to go back to work. She starts looking around at early childhood centres, goes into one that's obviously close to where she lives or where she wants to have, doesn't like it because there were kids there with snotty noses and she can't afford to get sick because if her child picks up at something at daycare, newsflash, darling, every child picks up something at daycare. It doesn't matter if it's the flashiest daycare or the nicest daycare or the best-funded daycare or the worst daycare, they get sick after they've been at daycare. Mm. It's how daycare works, right? It's it, it's a fact of life. It doesn't matter how clean that freaking daycare is. That kid's going to come home with coronaviruses. It's going to come home with rotaviruses. It's going to come home with every other virus because that's how they build an immune system by hanging out with snotty nose kids. But anyway, let's go to rest. Wow. She used to then, so she then decided instead of enrolling her child into that she would go and see her recently retired uh, family member, uh, her mum I think it was, yep, and she would drop it to um, her daughter to her mum so she could go to work. Great solution. She's lucky she has family support. However, the uh, 40-kilometre round trip to to deviation to go and drop said child to mum was actually just a bit much, so she wanted to look at something close to home. So her solution is she found she moved to a part-time job that uh, at a Polytech, as a tutor, so less money, but it had in-house childcare, which she was happy with, and it, she didn't have to drive around. So she took a drop in pay, but it gave her more flexibility, and that was the solution, but it's the government's problem. And I was just like, what? What, what mm. am I missing, Marty? What am I missing?
0: Sorry, I should be dense, but of <laughs> What, busca?
1: Well, she's just so she's that. So the article is claiming that this, all of these decisions somehow is the go is is this is the problem that we have with early childcare. I don't think this is an early childcare problem. I think that this is a a parental decision problem.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, there are no solutions, only uh, compromises, as Thomas Sowell likes to say. But I, I think one of the ways they sold, and I say this as someone who's done a lot of looking after. Uh, my wife and my three kids, uh, while she single-mindedly pursued her career, uh, one of the ways they sold feminism to women was grossly understating how much time is required to raise children. They need they they need a lot of time. You can't necessarily outsource it and get the same result.
1: Well, no, and I fully get that because I mean, being on the con- you know the reverse. Side of that, that's part of the reason why I've been a contractor for so long because I needed that flexibility to be able to juggle both working and growing a fledgling business uh, with my husband and caring for a child which was neurodivergent, but we didn't know he was neurodivergent at the time. So I was, in a way, ignorance was bliss. But you have to do whatever you have to do to make it work. And I just feel that the resilience now that this that that some parents have in order to do that there is definitely a cultural shift you see that resilience in parents that come from communities environments and countries where the line between perceived poverty and actual poverty is a hell of a lot thinner than what it mm. is in this country
0: well and and I mean women often uh often bemoan this they've um being told that they can have it all and then they realise they can't and so they're they're left, as you say, with a series of unsatisfactory choices and a feeling of guilt that gnaws away at them and uh, creates marital problems sometimes
1: And then in one roof there was uh, in the Weekend Herald, mortgage stress means taking two jobs Mm. Shocker, dear, oh dear, people are having to take two jobs in order to pay a mortgage Mm. Again,
0: I've
1: got about four. Yeah. Again, you know, I I never ever see or hear of say a recently arrived family complaining of those sorts of things. Ah, uh, that's called the norm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, there's been some cheap money, easy credit, and yeah, the the country's been awash with uh, Robbo's borrowed billions, and. Um,
1: And and that, that was the big juxtaposition for me in that Weekend Herald, right? And this is the only reason I pulled these out is because in the same edition, just mere pages away from each other was mortgage stress means taking two jobs, was one story. Then a couple of pages later, was Kiwi workers seek flexibility and mental well-being, research shows. And it's then, you know, talking about what workers actually would really love. Oh, darling, there's many things that I would really love too. Tell
0: us what the whiny little voice in your head is, is saying because you're worth it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... It's, um, yeah, I have to admit, so I'm going to stop complaining now because it, I'm getting a bit ranty. Well,
0: you're starting to reveal that generation gap between us and uh, and Gen Y and more particularly Gen Z where we've had our uh, grandparents who survived the Depression and World War II kicking us up the bum. Yeah. And so, yes. you know, from an early age that was uh, ingrained in us. Yes. Whereas my brother is 10 years younger than me didn't have that and has quite different attitudes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you yeah, um, know, actually I I would agree with it and can actually just slightly staying on the same theme of um, the woe is me, uh, the, the media, including Bruce Cottrell, oh. um, you know, they're all, they're all feeling a little bit sorry for themselves at the moment because they're in a punch. They are in a, inch. Wasn't, now, wasn't we, that
0: an incredible bit of interviewing her keyboard and really not addressing what the actual issues are?
1: Is that Tracy?
0: Yeah, or Tracy yep. Watkins. Uh, the Public Interest Journalism Fund was the perfect ammunition for those enemies. Uh, and we did a lousy job of fighting back, saying, oh, we just get little things wrong. And, and then basically saying, you know, the, the problem is basically people are used to hearing their own views on social media, and they're not used to hearing the kind of banal, balanced journal, journalism we do. It's like, no, go back to that uh, wonderful bit of research that David Farrar did, that study that found that a massive 81% of New Zealand journalists classified their political views as left of centre and only 15% as right of centre. There's your problem right there, Tracy. That's mm. your problem. and And I still want to hear those left-wing views. But I don't want to hear the airy kind of huffing and puffing that characterised that uh, interview about Guy Williams that we critiqued. And also the latest one was the lesbian um, uh, saxophone comedy uh, duo Karen, who's Patty Gower's offsider. A bit of government-sponsored comedy. It's just never funny. And she remarked, with all of the crap that's going on in the world these days, all of the shit, this ridiculous government, all the inequality in our country. We just want forty-five minutes where people can come and not have to think of anything other than two idiot lesbians on a stage. But yeah, just that, pff, this ridiculous government. It's like, what's ridiculous about it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's just a classic case of um, you know the disconnection between a little bubble. The bubble, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, so you had poor media, Tracy Watkins. I think I mentioned the New Zealand Herald last week. RNZ also chimed in last week. Um, And then Bruce Cottrell, he chimed in. I thought his was probably the most rational of all of these. But ultimately, media is being squeezed Legacy media. They are advertisers are leaving in droves because they are being squeezed in their businesses, right? So they're having to account for every single dollar. But more than that, more than that, again, the whole thing that they're telling you that's happening that they're not actually telling you is that that spigot from the government has turned off. That sugar spigot that's kept that hive going and fed and happy for the last sort of what three to six years really, has now been turned off. And it's not just the Public Interest Journalism Fund. There's all of that advertising at full full rate rate. Full rate
0: price advertising.
1: That's now been turned off. And these organisations are scrambling because all of a sudden their incomes have been slashed. Their listener and viewerships are at an all-time low. People are turning to alternatives because their trust in the people that they've normally gone to, is now at an all-time low, 42%. So alternatives have sprung up, like mushrooms. There's a whole heap of us out there. There is something that suits everybody. Now, I'm not saying that we're rolling in it in this station either. We're far from it. I mean, you know, it is a month-to-month thing, and thank goodness for our... Our jobs club. that
0: pay for our media, uh,
1: yeah, our days. other jobs that pay for our media habits, and also the listen, all the listeners out there that chip in in the foundation members club and give us donations every week. Without that, we, you mm. know, we would we would be a, you know,
0: a I would love to uh, daydream though about what reality check radio could be if it just had the funding increase that national radio is going to get, oh. even as it plummets from number one to number nine, in the. Your ratings. You know, I mean, you could really make some interesting programming. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about Bruce Cottrell's column was it echoed some of the stuff we'd said last week on Media Matters. And I said, you know, that the journalists were in, in the rush to get a scoop or to sensationalise a story or make a group of people, make these straw man arguments where, you know, the people are up against bigotry, uh, have utterly failed to build consensus. And that was a point he made in his article, that that uh, they hadn't really been seeking balance the way they should and yes. uh, had been dividing uh, rather than building consensus that, that helped us grow as a nation.
1: Yeah, uh, I love what he says here. The lack of balanced common sense reporting, in my view, has over the last 10 years resulted in many people feeling aggrieved that their viewpoint hasn't been covered. Correct. Yep. The other thing, too, is he talked about journalism because, of course, my youngest wants to be a journalist. I have not spoken to say, but that's what he wants to do. Well, he can just do it. Yeah, I know. That's what what I
0: tell you to kids who say, oh, I want to go and study music. It's like, well, just play it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I want to uh, study art. Just so this just... is what I wanted to read to you because I think that you will appreciate this. Firstly, we need to grow journalists. From the early 2000s, as new, as the newspaper industry weakened, one of its most important functions is the training ground for journalists. It, star- it started to decline. A communications degree does not a journalist make many writers who provided our news and current affairs through the second half of the 20th century learned their trade in newspaper industry under grumpy old editors who were steeped in the good old-fashioned journalism.
0: And uh, that's, that's exactly
1: that's exactly how you learn. It's exactly how I learned. In fact, I was one of the last. John
0: Jones, Ian Gillies, oh, Dave yes, Conway. John Jones,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly how I learned as well. I mean, I'm not a, a journalist. I mean, I, I've only ever been an announcer. So quite a different... Kettle of fish, I will concede. But I was part of that last group of radio um, announcers that were trained on the job.
0: Mm. In fact, but the person people, that we've re- still had a hip flask of whiskey in their top drawer sometimes.
1: Oh yeah, and the rest. Uh, and and when I started, I started on drive initially, three till six. And in fact, the person that replaced me, I moved from drive to another role in the the business, and then moved to weekend breakfasts. And the the person that replaced me, that I trained, Amanda Gillies.
0: Right, <laughs> I just missed working with Amanda. She left mm. uh, just before I joined the Gisborne Health. Well, and I, I knew her. Anyway, yeah, but.
1: freshly minted from a communications yeah. degree in Christchurch. So you know, and that that that's when that shift happened. Um, secondly, we need investigation, not reporting. Yeah. not yeah. Exactly, Bruce. It's a bit often of numeracy
0: said, never goes amiss either.
1: No. It's often said that one of the media's most important roles is to hold those in power to account. And you have said this often. You have said this often. We need investigation, not reporting. And that's the thing. I mean, a lot of journalists now, whether it be through lack of numbers or time pressures from editors, but at the end of the day, all they're doing is regurgitating press releases. Yeah. So they've they're just rubber stamping stuff through. There's no why anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean you can, and you if if you are used to seeing it, you can see the press releases a mile off, and, and you can even see the ones where a journalist's maybe made a call to someone else and um, then added that and put a different intro on it and stuck their byline on it.
1: Mm. And you know, and you, part of the reason you know that that regurge is going is I, again, how many times have I because I mean I will go through and scan a story right and I'll see something either in print when we do my when I do the in hard copy, or I'll see it in soft copy and I'll think, ah, okay, this is what stuff said about it, what's New Zealand Herald said about it, what's RNZ said about it, what's whatever said about it. And every single piece is identical, almost down to the letter, or the changes are so imperceptible.
0: Mm. Well, it's because yeah. a lot of journalists left journalism and got paid twice as much working in PR for government departments. Mm. That, that's that's where they've gone. And maybe they'll come back um, with, with the belt tightening. Who, who knows? But, yeah, the, the, the point about uh, Google and uh, Facebook basically stealing content is well
1: made. Absolutely, and the, I think this is what sparked it. Because they're trying to get that sort of bill through, and and I and I again, I agree with you. It is a point well made. I mean, I think they should be paying for that content, but why would they with the quality of some of it? But well, you know, I that's a so
0: point. I, I really resent the extent to which they manipulate the message as well. And then you've got what is it, News Safe or whatever uh, that uh, uh, company is that's basically editing news feeds. Now, sort of linked in, I think, to where Dear went to control freedom of speech. The nooses are tightening, and it is ultimately going to be people who are willing to, uh, you know, wash uh, dishes uh, to fund their media habit or, you know, whatever, you know, sell uh, knitting supplies or make olive oil or uh, shampoo carpets Mm. are going to be your journalists.
1: Yeah. And... And again, that's, it's where that trust comes in. And it's it's also breaking things back in terms of uh, what you can trust. I mean, I do worry about uh, the future of, like, for example, with things with AI and, and the quality of some of the deep fakes and all the rest of it that you've seen. I mean, I've seen some stuff pop up on uh, news sites internationally and it is clearly not true. But then you get to a point very quickly with AI. I think that's going to be one of the next challenges is, when it's like the boy that cried wolf, you have a whole bunch of, you know, fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, and when the actual real news happens, you can it's indiscernible from the stuff that's that's not real, and and people just completely miss it. And I think we had that during COVID as well. And so, you know, those are those are things that are vastly more concerning.
0: Yeah, you could return to Paula Bennett's point that communities know how to sort out their own problems, and I think that's probably the answer that. You know, we've got so many people who are very concerned about issues, you know, whether it's uh, in the Middle East or in Ukraine, and they've got a very definite uh, position on it and they maybe change their Facebook profile or something like that, while there are those kids around the corner who are hungry and aren't doing well in education. And, you know, as I've said before, you know, I could pretty quickly solve child poverty, habitat loss, crime uh, poor education outcomes in my cul-de-sac. And I think that's where we've got to yeah. move towards, and that will give us the mission that will be reminiscent of a, of a civilization that's um, in ascendancy. I mean, we've just had dear Anne Tolley, who's the unelected head of uh, Tauranga at the moment, increase um, some charities' rents uh, and costs by uh, almost 300%. Uh, as at this April, even though there's an election coming this year. So, you know, we're, we're in an administration in Tauranga. But right. um, I
1: keep forgetting that.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, yeah. need to have different, um, perceptibly different regions, I think. And they need to be competing for immigrants because mm. they need to be deciding, well, what do we need? And it should be easy enough for a community to say, hey, these educational outcomes aren't sustainable. This, um, you know, we'll, we'll take your pick.
1: Mm. Mm. And there is that decentralisation that uh, this current coalition are looking at doing, particularly with Te Pukinga, which i to say. Yeah, so they say, indeed. I mean, Another direction I wanted to head in, and I mentioned it earlier around St. John's, which I had popped under my title of immediate catastrophizing, but I also had a second one, which is of uh, normalization stories for things that are happening out in society at the moment that uh, they're not saying... The reason for what it is is they're not saying for what it is. So, for example, that St. John's story, and then there was also a column from James. I can never pronounce his name. It's um, is it Nokisi? Um He had a, a piece about the can- getting a cancer diagnosis, and you know how you handle what is just this c- can be a devastating piece of news. And of course, you know there seems to be lots of people getting that news at the moment, Ooh. and. It's that sort of the whole reporting and normalising of the effects of what no one wants to talk about: excess deaths and chronic illness, and admitting that without admitting that there's been excess deaths and chronic illness. And St it's John's. Yeah, and St John's is the one that I found really interesting because there, there were several stories, and, and I read there was RNZ had one. Uh, I think it was the Herald or the Post. I've got it in the pile of paper there. And, ultimate, and it was, again, on News Talk ZB yesterday I heard it. They brought it up with Christopher Luxon. And St John's is, again, in a funding crisis. So they've seen donations drop. They've picked up some extra funding from the government. And they claim that part of the issue is in terms of costings and they're having to take ambulances off the road because they can't afford to keep them on the road. But when I sort of dug a little deeper... Part of the reason they're having a costing crisis is because they're also having a chronic illness crisis and they've also got a recruitment crisis. So there is a certain number that they lost during the thing that should not be named and they haven't necessarily had those paid people come back on board. They've got staff, paid staff and volunteers who are completely stretched, but they also have a crisis where you've got staff who have to go off sick because they're either um, have are chronically sick or they have sickness issues, and of course you then have to cover that. So then that takes other staff from other places of the roster. You've got to pay them, so you're paying twice for a single position because one is off sick, and you're having to to pay the other one to come on on board. Which so it's this sort of cycle. and there's a lot more demand for health services, and there's a lot more demand for health services. Surprise, so surprise. and when someone was questioned about that, you know. The response I heard was, is, I just find it ridiculous that, we, that this isn't fully funded by the government anyway, and it should be.
0: I mean, I happen to agree with that. And, and, you know, I never feel good about this, but sometimes, you know, when someone's collecting for, you know, collecting for child cancer, it's like, you know, I would have thought that child cancer could have been addressed by some of that extra $100 billion. Mm. I would have thought, you know, hope that St. John could have been funded for that. You know, mm. some, something something useful, but it's.
1: And then there was a sway that I heard on talkback because I dare I say listening to talkback, who said that they cancelled because that St John have like a membership that you can pay, and if you then have a call out, your call out is for free. So a lot of people do do if you're at a certain age, and uh, my parents fall into this because my parents have the little um, the alarm. So yeah. they are on the subscription service and they have... They kind of use it
0: like Uber Eats or something.
1: <laughs> they don't, but I have to say, you know, because the, the parentals, you know, don't live in town. They live 10Ks out of town. They're of an age where stuff happens. You know, they one fall away from really bad things. Yeah. So they both, um, my mum did it first and she actually got a partner one for my dad, which he moaned and groaned about. But actually, good old nana, for doing that because she's had to use it for him. You know, he's he's had a dicky ticker since the, you know, and it's they've had they've had to use it. And that means right. that when they're caught short and she's on a walker and she can't rush to a car and try and heave him in there. And if he's having a moment, she's got that peace of mind that she can press that, you know, press that alarm and they know straight away they can get somebody out there. St John's have been incredible, and unfortunately, as time has gone on, they've been a more frequent flyer out to, to their place than I would care to admit, and that's so valuable, but then you've got people that are pulling their support, and I heard four callers, one after another after another, oh, we did it when they changed their name to Hatohone St John's. You know, we just we didn't like they that th- th- for them that was not the purpose, and they that that was their reaction was but to it's cancel. It's a significant
0: change to the brand, isn't
1: it? It and, is, and, and that's
0: and, what no one likes to admit. Is New Zealand's got a brand? The word New Zealand carries all sorts of a and as John Key found out, so does the flag. Yeah, it yeah. might it it might symbolically mean one thing or the other, but it's what people went to war representing and. Um, St. John's, uh, yeah, is is the brand.
1: Mm, it is. So whilst that, so whilst that keep quite busy at one end, um, with with the sort of the illness and unwellness, the other thing that I found, which is at the opposite end of the spectrum, has been uh, the whole birth rate uh, stories have started cropping up again, and yeah. in a way, the ECE uh, story sort of tied into that because kindergartens are seeing a, a drop in kids going and. As people go back to work, they're sort of putting pressure in another part of the sector. So there's mm. sort of a, 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 an unbalancing that's going on there.
0: That's New 30% Zealand drop in New Zealand's live birth rate. I'll have to check well, in on that again. I think it's probably come back up a bit, but one point
1: five six, as we were at, and uh, we had uh, the the number in between of live births versus uh, those that passed on was the smallest that it had been. Since um, yeah, yeah. since the Second World War, War. and you imagine the
0: the birth rate during the Second World War was considerably dampened by uh, the absence of men until the American um, soldiers got here. But um, yeah, I mean, hence the baby boomers. But um, it'll be interesting. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a boom this time. No. And oh, did you read that? um, What it's really like to be single in New Zealand? Story in the uh, Herald on Sunday.
1: I did. You I could did.
0: hear the plummeting birth rate in that. All these ladies getting older and reminiscing about uh, alpha chads who uh, showed them a good time and how repug- repugnant men, probably about th- their level of attractiveness, uh, are.
1: It's interesting. Totally you, there were a couple of things that were really, really interesting about that, and it's it sparked a couple of things. One was, uh, I don't know whether you heard I had any heart on last week, and we were talking about, dating and we had some really really great feedback on uh Annie's segment. That was a great
0: at, t- she was so p- pragmatic, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. She's
1: awesome. She's ah. awesome. Pragmatic. Yeah. She's she's just and her approach to it I thought was was brilliant because she's the she, funnel full. Yeah. <laughs> But also I lo- I love that whole book when she said, Look, if you want to go off and have your dirty sex, go off and have your dirty sex. Yeah. You know, she she's just she was brilliant. And we got great feedback from that. So thank you to everybody that um did give give us feedback. And one of the bits of actually a couple of bits of feedback from that were around women mature women who are on their own, and it's finding those, as Gad said, calls it, the birds of a feather flock together. People, there are certain key interests that are real deal breakers, and Annie talked about that, that you need to have to form those relationships. And one of the things that we're seeing, and I'm seeing it within the teenagers, is that you have um, the men that are seeing things through one lens real Mars Venus stuff, the women that are seeing and the girls are seeing stuff through another lens and they're actually struggling to come together uh, in that common ground. So for some of the listeners that commented with us, obviously the whole COVID um, disparity is is was for some people that commented was a deal breaker. I mean, there were marriages that broke up during right. that period of time because they fell on different sides of the debate. Man, if you are someone and you kept your marriage going through that, Good on you.
0: Well, the ones that kept going often got stronger, didn't they? Because mm. you realise, man, you know, I guess she's or he's more sensible than maybe I'd thought. And you had seen some people go nuts, and
1: yeah. But yeah. with the ki- with the kids, you know, like I'm just. Uh- I mean, you've mentioned it before with some of these men that are particularly steeped in the ideology of critical social justice. Why are they actually there? Is it because there was some other uh, deficiency going on in terms of their neurodevelopment, or it's is it the cuttlefish they-
0: mating technique, where yes. the, the weak little male cuttlefish tuck their uh, whatever they are that the distinguish them from female cuttlefish, tuck mm-hmm. them in, pretend to be a girl, and then come under the big uh, alpha male cuttlefish and sneakily you know, mate with all the female cuttlefish by saying, Oh yes, I'm an ally, have another glass of Chardonnay.
1: Wah! Yeah. Well, okay, I wasn't quite quite going to frame it in those terms, but
0: there you go. The dating thing, I mean, yeah, it's it's really you really feel for for young people, because there are still young people who want to get married and you almost you almost do need to have a separate society. And and I often say, you know, I, I I've begun to transition my children early. You know, I think if they're old enough to express a uh, an interest in getting married and uh, having kids, then you you know you start to transition them, start to talk about financial responsibility, the uh, pitfalls of drugs and alcohol, the politics around being valued for the way you look rather than the content of your character, how to spot good character and others. So you know you can sort of work them up, and you know the futility of of meaningless um, sex although you know a fine one to talk about that
1: mm. no it, yeah I did I certainly did see that and it's just yeah changing those sorts of mindsets and uh having them value
0: I've been thinking about arranged marriages you know I thought you know you could you could do some sort of uh have some sort of system where you got together with like-minded families and um you know had a had a system where you know the family could maybe have a picnic and Kids that got on well, you say, okay, well, we'll check back in when you're Mm. 15. And then, you know, again, as you get older.
1: But then that's also, too, that's a place that um, faith based communities always used to hold. You know, often, you know, where did you meet a potential future partner? You would either often meet them at school or at work or within a church environment, which then goes back to, you know, as Gad Sad talks about in his book, The Sad Truth About Happiness is the of the two maxims of what bring people together, and one, the, the thing that he believes is most important to happiness is having a fulfilling life partner, is the birds of a feather flock together, which he believes is the most successful, or the opposites attract maxim, which can be really passionate and explosive, for long-term uh, happiness and success isn't as successful as birds of a feather flock together. And I have to say, within a freedom environment, a freedom community, I've sort of joked amongst, fortunately for me, I've got neighbours and the, the the street of radicals, which I've talked about before, now all these parents in, that have been like-minded, all our kids have gone to primary school together and I've kind of joked that, you know, if the craziness ensued, uh, we've got a neighbour whose two girls are the same age as our two boys and it's like, well, if all, all turns to absolute yeah. um, grunch, you know, we can, uh, we, at least we know we've got these four kids that can um, potentially...
0: Uh, yeah, well, I've got great friends in Australia and uh, I've... Uh, Often, you know, said we'll have to get our kids together and that way, you know, if we have a wedding, it's going to be more fun. So they've got good genes. Their grandmother was Miss New South Wales, who sadly um, passed uh, last year. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be a, a better system than uh, just the hookup culture. And I think we're going to see a splitting off of a parallel culture in New Zealand mm. because it is going down.
1: But that's also part of your community concept, isn't it? It's mm. yeah. part of that wider community concept because by strengthening those communities, whether it be, as you said, in your street or your neighbourhood or whatever that community is, that's one of the benefits, that's one of the butterfly effects that comes from that community.
0: And I think that's something where Māori and Pākehā cross-purposes because, you know, I think that concept of Tino nā you know they don't need a separate house in parliament to do that, any more than we need a separate house in parliament to form a community of of common values. I think, as a matter of urgency, we should have uh, communities that are run along principles from the Green Party. And I think it should be Wellington Central. Which I think they should be paying a wealth tax and and uh, doing whatever other harebrained things they need to um, realise that even if they do it their way, there's still going to be a lot of broken eggs and no omelette they should be a, a Maori community and you know the uruweras you know it doesn't need to be you don't need to have Tami Iti and uh, a bunch of skinny white marxists forming new zealand's hamas to um to get that you know do it and you know if there's some support and let's let's study it it doesn't have to be oppositional we should have you know that swiss canton thing where you know, different people might suit different areas. The only problem is that once they start competing, some will do well, some won't.
1: And that's also one of the points that Paula Bennett made about the grandmother going to get these trance out of bed to get them mm. to school, right? She said, if that was put into a formalised context, the government would get in the way. Yeah. And I yeah. think that this is where, whether it be local government governance or central governance, there has to, you've got to get out of the way of these people. And also to those who are in those communities making that happen, um, you also just have to look at not rely on governance to be there for you because you, because they do get in the way; they stop you from well, doing what they do. I tell work. you where
0: government could be useful is standard, as uh, uh, centralising study, centralising basic management um, systems. So, people who are really good at, you know, using that example, getting kids to go to school aren't having to spend all this time writing funding applications or, you know, doing HR for people that they're hiring when they're not very good at hiring to check whether they're cheating. You know, th- those sort of things would be useful. But uh, in terms of people doing the work, you know, if if, if the people doing the work could be free to uh, form their own goals and uh you know, try different things in different places, see what works. that That's the ideal situation rather than all of these places being controlled on puppet strings from Wellington.
1: Mm. Mm. Indeed. Let us know what you think, everybody. 2057 is the text number, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Um, now, I do have some feedback. Hold on a moment. Letters. From Ian, we've got just a quick note listening to Marty this morning on a podcast replay and he mentioned having to retox on main lamestream media after a nice break. I think I'm in good company when I say thank you to the whole RCR team who are doing the retoxing so I don't have to. I'm relying on all you guys to keep me up to New Zealand political speed so I don't have to stomach the TVNZ, TV3, RNZ, BS to stay in the loop. I know it sounds selfish, but a great big thank you, to you all, you're most welcome, Ian.
0: Makes it makes it worthwhile that people appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, we've had lots of good stuff. Uh, lots of welcome backs, and good to have everybody there. And I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the da- um, the dating stuff with Annie when I get it back on course. A proper welcome back to you, Marie. We've missed you and your accomplice, Marty. Of course, thanks, Peter. Oh. So it's good to hear from everybody. 2057 is the text number. Inbox at realitycheck.radio. Do um, let us know. And we do have had, and I haven't read it out, but we have actually had a suggestion for a guest, which um, is somebody that I am certainly going to think about doing. But because of something that I'm involved with at the moment, from a legal perspective, we can't quite talk very to that person. Talking. I'm being very cryptic. But yes, So to and so that person, I think, who knows... They'll know if they're listening, they'll know what I'm talking about. Yes, I have got it. And yes, um, it is certainly something that we will potentially look into. So we do look at everything. don't
0: not is as good as a wink to a blind horse.
1: I know, I know. Well, there's still a lot to actually have a look at. I'm feeling a little bit more settled than what I was last week. I know when we spoke last week, I was a little bit sort of um, fidgety and fractious. I am feeling a little bit settled and I have been doing with the retox, I've been doing a little bit of that zoom out. And for me, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this party, but for me, I'm doing that little bit of a zoom out. I'm looking at things and going, right, okay, well, let's see where the coalition government goes with what it is they're aiming and um, promising as, you know, they've not been there three months yet. So,
0: Mm.
1: you know, there's still time. You just um, got to
0: think of the media as that whiny voice that moans when you go jogging. That's what they are, and you just got to jog through it. Yeah, and you do. I think mm-hmm. National are doing that pretty well, and I think um, you know Act in New Zealand first uh, are fulfilling that that uh, role-running interference that uh, Cam had said would be an advantage of it. Um, and I, I hope that they don't lose their nerve. I think you know Luxon's got that instinctive corporate. Uh, uh, thing with bad press that has turned turns his bowels to water, but you know, he's just gonna have to harden up.
1: Yeah, indeed. And you know, and just rolling your sleeves up. You know, I, I mean I just I just sort of Some look at all this. Yeah, I just look at all of this and go, okay, no, that's fine. I'm gonna continue doing the hard work here. And then I'm also going to continue doing the hard work in the day job and as you do at home and just getting those kids out there because that at the end of the day, that's where the Mahi is is actually doing stuff yourself. And mm. sitting back and, and abrogating stuff to these other people, particularly government, is never going to get you anywhere. So I'm certainly going to keep focused on that for sure. Um, and, of course, you and I will do all of this again next week. I look forward to it. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.